The Sports Career Podcast, episode 310. How can self-awareness improve your character in the sports industry? sports career achiever and thank you for listening to this week's podcast i'm your host ed bowers as always my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry especially if you have an interest with regards to teaching coaching and working in the football industry i hope today's episode can support your sports career development interests and needs now getting back to today's podcast special guest is Stephen salas Stephen has a fascinating sports career journey He's a keynote speaker, elite development mentor for football players, and also he is the current founder of Solution Mindset, which specializes in high-performance solutions and services for athletes, sports teams, businesses, and schools. Also, he is the author of Education Football, how teachers, coaches, and parents can develop solution mindsets for their players. For that reason, it's such a pleasure to have Stephen as a podcast special guest on the show. That's when today's episode, Stephen will share his sports career journey and explain to you how self-awareness can support your character when pursuing a career in the sports industry. Stephen, it's such a joy to have you on the podcast show. As I said before going live, it's such a pleasure to have you on. And for the listeners listening, could you share to listeners your sports career journey? When did it all start? Well, can I start at the end? Because it's a bit easier, Ed, probably. Um, I call myself a foul footballer on Twitter. Um, and people say to me, oh, you know, you can't say that. Um, actually, Dave Rainford, from the, uh, he's head of education at the Premier League, said, Steve, I'm really uncomfortable with you calling yourself a foul footballer. And I said, well, like, Dave, I am. So, you know, I've hung around with guys that have played against Ronaldo and you know, FA Cup finals and played in the Premier League. So um, those guys were 20 times better than me. So... You know, I played, I basically played non-league, uh, semi-pro for about 15 years, retired at 34. So previous to that, I was at Brighton for eight years. Uh, I was one of the only footballers of my generation to have any to have any A-levels. Um, they were crap A-levels, but they just did me enough to get into uni. And uh, yeah, I got spotted at Brighton when I was 11 and went all the way through to I was 19. Playing local sort of Sunday league football for my grassroots team and then I was just that kid that was was half decent at football, really. And, it, and if I'm honest, I called myself fouled, Ed, because I wasn't as good as the people that did make it pro. So there's no there's no excuse. It just is what it is. Can we just touch on that? Because I think there's something powerful there of like power of self-acceptance, because you look at it as moving forward, next chapter, but a lot of people could stay in that mindset. And because they brand themselves a failure, they can't move on. And we'll talk more detail of your educational journey, what you're doing on and off the pitch, helping pupils and footballers. But can we just touch on how you accepted it and how it's made you a better professional now, looking back? Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily linked to football. It's a good question. No one's ever asked me, actually. I just think it's, it's acceptance of failure. So I've just spoke to two lads this morning, both at academy level, both clients, uh, both 14-year-olds. Loads of parents are asking for my help now. 
And I, I've said to them, look, look, you're you're not you're not Jamal the footballer, you're Jamal that just happens to play football. And and that's really important, you know, in terms of player identity. But the rejection, like, you know, I'm going to touch on the Chim Paradox book. The Chim Paradox book says life's not fair, the goalposts move, there are no guarantees. Now I didn't know the Chimps Paradox book at twenty. Obviously, it wasn't even written by then. But can I just say the author? That's Professor Steve Peters. Just for the listeners to kick in, yeah, go ahead. Correct. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, these these things, are, um, you know, realism and idealism. And my dad, who watched all my games, was very realistic. He played non-league and pretty much drilled us that son, you probably won't be a pro. Now most people think, oh, how can a son, a dad, say that to a son? But you know, realism and idealism. The facts don't lie, Ed. The data doesn't lie. 1% of lads are still making it. So go do well at school. And, and we call it dual pathway in pro football. Smash school and, and smash pro sport to the best of your ability. But final thing I'm going to say is people still got this, this grey area and this blind spot about non-league football in England. Right? We've got four pro divisions. Division five, which is a conference, is basically pro. I think 18 of the clubs are full-time. So the, club, the the game's like strong in this country and people still think, you know, oh, I've got to be in the Premier League. No, there's like, there's a load of good players in the country. You don't get given the divine right to play at that top level. Right. I need to dig deep with this onion now because you've just sparked it. You've just said about being real and then following what you want to pursue, basically. You said realism and idealism with those two concepts. How do you find the balance? Because this podcast, as you can probably imagine, everybody says follow your passion, your dream which has an important concept of looking forward, but how important is it to have the reality check, like you said, with data? I want to dig deep here because people can get a bit airy-fairy with their career journey without being real and honest to themselves. That's why I wanted to dig deep on that point. Yeah, my work with the clubs, the difference between, let me just touch on this, the difference between schools and football clubs is that schools, from my experience, and I'll say that, like I'll say use the word lens today, right? And lens means how I see the world. So from my lens, football clubs are just miles behind schools in terms of transparency. So if schools are changing a strategy, they'll write a letter home. If schools are doing X, they'll, they'll explain why. So, so schools are just clearer. Then we go to football clubs and parents think it's a little bit cloak and dagger because there's so much distance between the club staff and, and the parents. Now, I appreciate there has to be because sometimes the parents can be a pain in the backside and just get too clingy. But clubs could do a lot more in educating the parents on how to parent, how to be a sporting parent, educate the kids on the truth very early. What do I mean by that? You know, signing on night, what a brilliant night for everybody involved in the family that your son signs for an academy or your daughter does. But why don't we just tell the parents the truth on that night? And I mean, tell them in a sincere way, like, great, 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 brilliant signing on for two years, like whatever age you are, but just to let you know, but these are the stats. And so, you know, it's not what you say, how you say things. If you're just honest with parents immediately, then we won't be having this catastrophe six, seven, eight years later of all the parents hammering the clubs looking like they've been dealt a bad hand. It's the facts and the facts. So I do get a bit weirded out with parents sometimes when they like have this catastrophe, oh, my son didn't make it. Well, you knew this anyway. Can I dig even deeper? Because there's one thing I, I've had a few people who are involved now in like on the podcast, I mean, looking at like player development at the youth, like grassroots level and academy level. And I don't know about you, but I'm seeing like quite a few stories of kids who get let go and then commit suicide. Now I'm going deep for a reason, because if there was more education for the player and the parents, I assume it will solve that problem as well. Because I saw one, was it this year, a Man City player 
got released and he put it yeah, he took his terrible. life. And I'm saying this from an educational standpoint, Stephen, of of course like shouldn't education be the pillar to solve that issue? That's far more important if somebody gets a player contract or not, surely. Like I know I'm I'm just the one feeding you the questions, but that's yeah. the bigger picture of needs to be dealt with, not just if a player gets signed to a big club, so on and so forth, from a career standpoint. Yeah, and again, good point. I mean, firstly, that's a, a terrible story, which everyone in sport or education needs to eradicate. But Bristol Uni had 12 suicides in 2019. So let's just take football out of the equation and let, let's reevaluate our why for life. Like why, why are we going to, to school to then go to sixth forms and then go to a Russell Group Uni, which Bristol is, so then 12 young people saying, oh, I don't want to live life anymore. Now, from my experience, that will probably be mummy and daddy driving them mad more than the kid needs, saying, no, you know, it's a badge of honour for the family, isn't it? And these kids actually not being intrinsically happy. And and people's perception of success is this thing called an A-level or GCC. And the number one relationship we need in life is with ourselves. So, you know, the word education, we could be all day discussing this. You know, our, school, our school's doing enough, our family's doing enough, our family's more aware of it. Do families touch on mental health? Don't they touch on mental health? What is education, question mark? You know, is it social? Is it emotional? Is it, you know, is it spiritual? Is it physical? What is it? So, like, you know, where do we go with it? But the word education, what it does, Ed, in a, in a nutshell, education in, in any form gives us a choice about how we behave. So... You know, a young kid said to me today, oh, I might want to go and work with my dad. Um, and I said, absolutely fine. But why don't you get your GCCs and then go and work with your dad? Because if you don't want to work with your dad in five years' time on a building site, then you've got a choice to go and do something else. So, yeah, just just as many aspirations as possible. And I suppose there's something called the Pygmalion effect, Ed, which I studied for my MA. And the Pygmalion effect means the higher the aspiration, the greater the outcome. So if we raise the bar for footballers and we raise the bar for people in general and saying you can, you can, you can, and this is how you do it, then then we're going to be in a much better place. But football, as an example, is still not got enough people in the building that know enough about child psychology, but they know loads about football. But what's the point about knowing about 11 v 11 when you don't know about how to develop children? So, yeah, until we get that bit right, I don't, I don't think the game's ever going to change at a mass level. However, I mean, there's some brilliant people in football. We're just not often in the, right, in the right places. When you mean raising the bar, a lot of people may listen thinking, you know, get better statistics in their sprinting, their performance on the pitch. Do you mean raising the bar of having other interests of life? Everything. Just yeah, great point. You know, just want to dig yeah. deep because yeah. look, you, you've, we, we're in a great conversation. I think this is really important because, um, you know, I've had, I'll give you some professional women football players where due to the, the sport it is, it was naturally dual career. But in the men's game, you get that one lottery ticket contract and they don't have to think about other aspects of life, of other interests, educational, after sport. But when I've spoken to women football players, it was ingrained right from the get go because the money isn't there as the men of the whole ecosystem of women's football is building. But I'm just curious on the higher bar of that MA. Could we just touch on a little bit of what, what you found through that piece of study you've done of that piece of research? I'm just curious. Yeah, it was, it was a study from um, a teacher and a psychologist called uh, Rosenthal Jacobson, and they did some studies on on teacher aspirations to uh, impact on attainment. So it was proven that the higher the aspiration of the teacher, 
led to an increase in performance. So I have to apply this for you because I've just lived this today in the last literally four hours. I've had three kids today that I'm mentoring, right? I mentor people, men, women, young, old. I've had three kids. And I've just said to this kid in South East London, what is stopping you being the most polite kid in the school as of January when you get back? And he just went, well, nothing. So when I say raise the bar, I say, well, welcome to my world, son. Like your mum and dad are paying me good money for to help you. And I'm telling you, you have no excuse not go. And I'll quote this in. I said this to this young boy this morning. Hello, miss. How are you today, miss? Can I carry your, your bags for you, miss? Can I carry your books for you, miss? Can I open the door for you, miss? How are you, miss? Did you have a good day at school today, miss? Like, like forget GCCZ. The level is the level is the level. But we get, let's go back to football slightly. There's people in the building that still care about how good they are football are. And I'm saying, well, I don't know. If we get the character right, and a human being, the calibre will take care of itself. Because we just assume that these kids are born like it. No, they're made like it. I worked with these kids since they were 12. You know, I've worked with some of the world's best athletes since they were 12. So I've seen them grow, I've seen them develop. But now I'm in a place where, no, no, you know, character or calibre. And we're obsessed with calibre in the UK, aren't we? Like, you know, exams, A-levels, degrees. And I'm thinking, well, no, no, character drives calibre. So, yeah, I mean, Jude Bellingham turns up to England camp with a phone roller and a laptop. And he says, I'm going to go to the homework, go to the library and get my homework done for two hours. Well, that was when he was 15. So my point is about that's the level. Ed, that's the level. I was going to say just quickly with, you know, the character side. So I'm digging deep for the learners and teachers who are listening. We're talking about etiquette. We're talking about values, but also we're talking about manners. And I have not talked about manners on my podcast, but without a doubt, even getting my guests on my show, it's been my manners that I may not have been the most experienced, but manners go further and can we just touch on that that we are in control not our attitude but our manners and how we communicate because i think it's those little details that make the difference can we touch on that as well and maybe maybe yeah maybe generations aren't emphasizing that to their kids like my dad said to me at four years old ed son every person that you meet look them in the eye shake their hand and ask them how they are right and i wonder like, and his two sons, and my dad was a plumber, working-class boy. My brother's a head teacher now, and obviously that's a significant job with people, and I do what I do. I don't think that's a coincidence. So, therefore, how many parents are truly driving those behaviours which are, I think, being ignored more and more in society? I'm going to have to do that curveball question. How do you implement a tradition of a parent upbringing, family home environment, because that's really the teacher, their environment's in the school. Let's keep it simple in the classroom. It's very hard to educate a parent, not in their environment, but also telling them what to do. Like this is the communication I find fascinating, but very challenging. Have you found that solution yet? Bearing in mind today's podcast topic is creating that solution mindset, but it seems like one needs to work with the other to create the best outcome, meaning the pupil or the student and the parent and the student all working together as three, like a three-dimensional team. Yeah, of course. But I mean, I love my one-liners, right? You'll like this. But an expert hires an expert, right? So you're you're asking me to come on your podcast to talk about my experiences and my lens. I don't tell my dad how to plumb a house and I don't tell you how to do a podcast because I haven't got a podcast and I don't know how to do one. Right? So if if parents could zoom out more, and teachers could zoom out more of their own little bubble 
and say, look, who are out there that could really help me help my child? Or who are out there that could really help me? It's a bit like, you know, the bods job. You, you get someone in, in your house, oh, I can do that. No, you can't. That's why you've got to leave. So I think we all need to be more self-aware. My whole book is called Educating Football, as you know, but it's not about football. It's about a life. It's about self-awareness. So unless we have that mindfulness every day to say, what do I want? What is my why? Do I want my child to truly, truly succeed? And who is out there Who is out there to enable them to do that? I don't, I don't think it's a thing people think. I think you just have to keep drumming down self-awareness. We need to be having more conversations about self-awareness. We need to have even more conversations about what is our why for our child. And every single parent, Ed, every single parent is going to say, I want my kids to be happy. Yeah. But do you think that's too broad? Because I'm not a fan of that question. Yeah. They don't know how. Absolutely. They don't know how. So they think, they think, uh, here we go, PE teacher days, they think um, giving their kid a note to not do PE, they think that that's love. Yeah. The, kid, the parents love their kid. I'm not disputing that. But they're just loving the kid in the wrong way. So they're just teaching their kid, mum, 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 I don't want to do it. They love their kids so much that, oh, yeah, I don't want them to go through that, like this failure or this awkward conversation with a teacher or get detention or whatever whatever those processes are. And all the parents doing is failing their own child because they're not teaching them. Firstly, you should be doing physical education because it's good for you. Secondly, no, I'm not going to bow you out of crap at school. You need to have these conversations yourself. And if you actually link it back to the whole point of poor communication is normally linked to poor literacy skills because people have the language to articulate so you know people often deflect or or don't talk to you or block you or you know they're not people you know people are not able to communicate are they because they haven't got the language to be able to do it without being offensive or something it's ironic Stephen. i'm actually dyslexic and i just i want to give a bit of my story just because this was yeah, a huge please. struggle yeah. a huge struggle at the age of 12 i had half my reading age so i was six reading age and the one thing I had to learn was to just read when it was so uncomfortable out loud. And I'm just saying, do you think that's half the battle is that sort of um, failing all the time and then eventually you get better at it? Like, And even adults are like that the same. It's amazing when I try and help people to get out their comfort zone, but they're so used to being in that comfy seat, they're not willing to get out their own skin. Do you think that's half the battle? Because for me, I'm a lot better communicator now by doing 300 podcasts. Did I like it at the beginning? No, but you just got to keep showing up. So I just would like to give real case studies to the listener of how they can develop themselves, even if they may have a weakness on communication. I mean, here's a question for you. Oh dear. Here we go. If, if, the, if, no, if the word failure just didn't exist in our vocab, what, what word would, what, what word would our society use? Instead of failure, you mean? Yeah. Challenge. Yeah, the fact yeah, the fact that you're thinking about it and there isn't a clear cut answer is a good thing, right? I'm not trying to weed you out here, but it's not like challenge. I, w- I would say if I'm reflection, I'd say challenge, failure, probably not, because failure I think is quite a final word. Yeah, it's a final word, isn't it? A challenge yeah. is more moving forward word. But that's how I look at it. I I I I've over the years with my experiences. I've had to just ignore that word failure. Yeah. Of course, we experience it, but that's why I look at it as a failure, as a challenge of overcome. Because if not, I could have just been that 12-year-old with a six-year-old reading age and would have just been in that pity party. And we all have those feelings, but you've got to move on. That's through my experience, everybody. Um, but that's why I gave you the word challenge, because 
you, you, anything's possible if you have, as you probably know better than I do with 20 years mentoring but it's all about the mindset of everything and how you approach your next action or decision yeah. so that's why I use word challenge yeah but if we go back to what that word is it's quite my point is it's quite difficult to find the word but if that it word is. just didn't exist and we just looked at feedback what's your feedback what's your feedback score you know what's your feedback score oh I got I got seven out of ten mum okay and most parents, if their kids get seven out of ten, normally pretty happy. Oh wow, you know, got seven out of ten. But it's only the wise grandma that says, seven marks did you get correct? And then what three marks did you get wrong? And then the kid just goes, I don't know, but I've got seven out of ten. No, 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 no. That's not learning. Like you need to know exactly what the seven marks were, what you got right, and exactly what the three marks were where you get wrong. And then we can actually assess ourselves to then really grow. But unless we look at this self-awareness at a much deeper level, which by the way, schools do with their eyes closed. Now, this development, you know, what went well and even better ifs, you know, that's standard practice in schools, just creating this process. But the communication, just linking to that, it's it's all based on literacy. Literacy is is power. But, you know, if, if I say to it in a football change room, oh, literacy is power, people look at me like I'm a lunatic, don't they? Because they still think it's about overloads and 3v2s and 2v1s. And I mean, literacy for the listeners means five things speaking listening reading writing and communication so speaking and listening are absolutely massive in life you know and how that relates to communication and if we're not literate and we're not emotionally literate we're never going to be able to communicate effectively because we don't have the words the reason people punch someone on the nose in the high street on a night out is because they haven't got any words yeah they just get angry i haven't got any self-regulation they just punch because they haven't got any words so when we're talking about a life of love, if we want real, genuine love in society, we need we need education. So how do we put in this emotional intelligence piece in then? Because that it must be the golden nugget to hit the actual winning result or success on that individual, surely, to make it happen. Yeah, uh, EQ, IQ debate is, I mean, I think the top businesses now, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn like you are, right? There's a lot more people posting um, content on emotional intelligence. There's a lot more people posting content on effective leadership. You know, there is no excuse, I don't think, now to not be aware of the term EQ. But I still go into businesses and schools and corporates and football clubs, and people don't know the EQ acronym. They they're not aware of it. So again. The, gate, the the word of the day for you and I is education. If people have more knowledge, then they have more choice. And by having more choice, it gives them an opportunity to behave or interact in a way which is going to have a better outcome for all. So, yeah, I, I call it common sense, but obviously it's not that common for many people, is it? Exactly. And I want to tailor it back to your career now. With this term education, how has that supported you now after football just in general like your journey is fascinating if we, I'd like to touch bases on one thing that got me very curious your 2012 involvement of the Olympics with Seb Kerr I, I was fascinated how you got involved in that but was that linked to when you were a teacher at the time I'm just really curious yeah yeah well I worked I worked in the borough of Greenwich so Greenwich obviously hosted some um, Olympic yeah. sites we had the horse horse ride in there and a few other events, which I can't remember off the top of my head. But um, I was, yeah, it's important I mentioned this. I was placed in bottom set as an 11-year-old. And I went home to my mum, 
when I was in year seven. And my mum went, are you all right, son? And I went, no, not really. And she went, you don't look very happy. And I, my bottom lip was going and I, and I started crying. And she went, what's up? I said, mum, am I thick? And she went, no, no, of course you're not, son, as mums do, because they love their sons, right? I said, well, I've just been put in bottom set. Now, Ed, I knew I wasn't brainy. Yeah, I knew. But I knew I wasn't thick. I was just that middle kid. So to be labelled as thick, and I said this on the High Performance Podcast as well, I knew at 11 that I wasn't happy with that label because I knew I wasn't that label. Now, these so-called educationalists, teachers, basically, call them educationists, but they're teachers, are supposed to be the most intelligent people in the world at their job. And I'm saying to people, no, 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 no. Just because you say you're a teacher doesn't mean you're any good. Just because you say you're an architect doesn't mean you're good. Just to say you're a podcast host doesn't mean you're any good. Just to say that, you know, you're, uh, you're, you're a plumber doesn't mean you're any good. The qualification doesn't justify it. So I'm in just this place where, look, let, let's just be more aware of, of our behaviours, more aware of what we're doing. And, yeah, failing my GCCs. So, therefore, my relationship with education, that just clarify with the listeners, wasn't very positive. But now having GCCs and A-levels, albeit crappy ones and a couple of degrees, it puts me in a really strong position with my, um, I call it proof or improve. Now, I've proved, I've proved by society's norms and values that I'm an half-intelligent bloke. But the key to any any human change is just improve. And I ask this to most teenagers. You ask, here we go, it's a question to you. You speak to a 14-year-old, the average 14-year-old in the UK, right? and you say, what's more important, prove yourself or improve yourself? What do you think the average 14 or 15-year-old is going to say? Improve yourself. That's what I would say. Right. Yeah, that's what I you would say. say. Yeah. So why do you think the average fifteen-year-old is going to say the opposite of that? Because of maybe doubt and maybe lack of confidence, depending on where they are in the set. I don't know. No. 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 It's it's place. It's this place called school. Okay. So it's the environment. And this place called school, where you got to go. Mum and dad are driving the kids mad about GCSEs, and the teachers are driving the kids mad about GCSEs, and everyone's driving them mad. Trust me, the average 14-year-old kid from an inner city does not say improve. Me and you do, because we've got wisdom. But the average kid, I'm telling you, because I ask these kids, stand up or sit down, prove or improve, and 75% of the kids are standing up saying prove because of this place called school, because of this place called Instagram, because of this place called social media, and they're just staring at stuff and they're trying to validate their and prove that they're better than everyone else. But actually, you and I know, that if they improve, the proving will be organically happening anyway. So I'm going to give my real life example because that I, when I was at my secondary school, Shiplake College, I have to give credit and I've never really promoted, but I actually had the head, former headmaster on my podcast, episode three. They did a thing called attainment grade and effort grade. So I was in set five, right? And English was my hardest language. Getting it, GCCC, still one of my best results. And the grades I used to get was like, A would be high for the academic, but one was top effort, one to five, A to F. And I was getting like C1s, you know, D1s. And I went with the philosophy. This is what taught me at ship like that. It goes back to the old cliche in football, like effort beats talent. If you can, can with that improvement mindset, I had effort. And I'm not here bragging about myself, but from set, you know, from year nine to year 13, I got F, every effort award every year. And it was just not just showing up, just putting in the the reps. But I'm just saying to you, Stephen, that's why I said improve, because this school philosophy was different. That worked for my learning style. But the other schools I went to, 
it was all about status. Like there wasn't Instagram, thank goodness, when I was there, but you, there's none of that comparison game. Uh, so I'm just curious on that. Let's bring that. Well, you can relate to what I've just said. I've just answered your question, but do you think that's a better approach to let students focus on their effort, but self-effort? You can't teach it. I can't teach it. It's down to the individual. They may be focusing on grades as an expectation. So I'm putting you on the spot now because for me, the effort mindset was better than focusing on the grades at the beginning. Later on, when it mattered, it did, but not at the beginning. The funny thing is, I didn't know you went to Ship Lake. And I did a school training day there about two years ago before COVID. Wow. Yeah, so I did all the behaviour training for the staff there in this very grand room, by the way. Um, uh, probably old Viking room, I bet, right the in river. the main building. Right opposite near, the river. near the river. Yeah, that's right. Skip with House. It's the lovely building. Beautiful, yeah. Very grand. And, um, yeah, so we've got that in common because I've been to the school. But I think, again, I'm just going to remind listeners that I have uh, taught in four failing inner London comprehensives. And yeah. I've dealt with knife crime and gang culture and kids that haven't got breakfast and are wearing stab vests yeah. in their school uniform at 11 years old and, you know, the most deprived kids in the UK. So the reason I say that is because there's this, there's this serious level of deprivation in the UK, which people don't really talk about or, or diversify on. And, you know, these kids are getting, getting uh, recruited by gangs and uh, it's going on everywhere. And I don't know if you're familiar with the term county lines now, right? But if you're not, I mean, county, county lines is, is, is massive for listeners. County lines is where gangs from, from out of town are from London and whatever. They're going out to the counties now and they're recruiting. Yeah, they're recruiting gangs. Like, and we're talking as far as deep Sussex, deep Kent, deep Essex, deep Suffolk, right? So, yeah, county lines is big. So... Massive for you, you know, massive for your listeners to know about it because this is going on in all schools, Ed. And it's, you know, real, real, real sad stories about, you know, young people getting manipulated and manoeuvred into areas. But when you're a poor kid, and this is one would give these kids credit, and you've got no mum around, you've got no dad around, and you've got no money, then then kids would knock on my door and say, Sir, like, I'm going to join a gang. Like, like, firstly, I'm not a black you from a white guy. So who am I to tell them that they can't do X and Y? Or my job, as, as all great teachers do, is is to educate them and say, we don't think that's correct because. But I'm not the one with no food, am I? So, yeah, it's, mate, very complex. And, that, and that's what I'm saying about the lens. I am really lucky that I work with these kids because it gives me great perspective on life and really makes me, I, I say to all my clients about, about gratitude and perspective. You know, gratitude and perspective is massive. And just to put it for listeners, because it's important, as I said, I was very lucky to go to somewhere like Shipplate where I had the time and the right environment. You know, the setting is beautiful and it's very controlled. It is like a bubble. But when you said about the London schools, I'm listening and I have no idea. And I'm just saying, I don't know if there's a right question to ask, but from your 20 years experience, like you said before, Air, people are now seeing your glory days of, how you come across online and the success you've had with the book and the documentaries. But just with that child, you mentioned being tempted to gangs because they haven't got maybe an identity or place where they can feel valued compared to a school. I know this is a, we can't answer this question to be fair in depth, but what's the first step? Is it to make schools a different environment that it brings them into the environment to learn and thrive? 
than grades or a place that we try not to think about crime rates and actual these kids being hurt physically and mentally due to the outside environment i'm just curious i know there's no answer i'm just i just would i would like to hear your thoughts it's good to buy and people who want to work in a career, they need to be mindful of this too. So that's why I asked it. But also people working in sport. Loads. People call me a sports psychologist in football. I'm not. My master's degree was in educational psychology and leadership. Obviously, I used to play football. So, you know, I've just, I've got, I can out footballers with my eyes closed. But when people say to me, I want to be a sports psychologist, all I ever say to them is, go, go and be a teacher. It's like, I've worked, you know, 40,000 kids. I've worked at mass level with people. And then, you know, people wouldn't know about, you know, I worked in an all-black school for 10 years. So knowing about Afro-Caribbean culture, you know, they the kids were teaching me stuff. So I'm there to be teaching them. But the things that you learn. So I think that my super strength is, is, is you know, I call it in my new book, Experience or Experiences. Not only, not only have I got experience, but I've got experiences. And young people will often get in stitched up because, you know, people say, oh, you ain't going to experience. But young people might have experiences, right? So we've got to back young people and say, look, I don't care what your experience is. What can you do to add value to this job or this role? So linking to the controllables in the school, I know I'm going to get all really detailed here, but like, first and foremost, you need great teachers, right? And if the kid is going from period one to period five and they've got, not in a rude way, three shit teachers out of five, Right, then that's a problem, isn't it? But then how do you get good teachers there that don't want to work in these schools? And people just wouldn't have a clue. I couldn't I couldn't appoint a science teacher for two years. So there's no one in the whole of the world, because we're not recruiting in England, in the whole of the world, that wants to come and work in these schools with a science degree. Because if you've got a science degree, you can be picking up 80, 90 grand a year in, in corporate work, can't you? So therefore, you know, it's it's... It's mental, honestly. The job is absolutely nuts. So when I go into pro football, it's like the easiest job in the world because we're not really dealing with problems. We're just, you know, we're just dealing with minor things. Okay, let's touch on that. How is there? How is it easier? Just is it more the environment? Is it more the structure of the place? Is it more there's procedures in place? Let's just dig on this point because I'm just curious the difference of eat. How is football is easier than working in schools? Oh, it's, so, it's so much easier. Right, let me apply it for you so that the listeners are absolutely aligned with me. I my last school was in South East London in Greenwich Lewisham. And I got two and a half thousand kids, right, in the school. I don't hand pick any kid. Right? So those kids turn up, state comprehensive, and we have to add value. That's our job. So whatever level they're on, let's say they, you know, for easy sake, they come in on an F grade, we've got to get them up a grade or two grades. Right, so it's all about adding value. Um, in football clubs, Ed, they hand pick every player and then moan about them. And I'm like, this this ain't right. No, 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 no. Like you hand pick every player, right? And then you're still saying, no, 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 you're not good enough. Can you imagine me going to my head teacher as head of year 11? You remember a head of year 11, right? And they've been a head of year for those five years. And the head of, let's say this, let's give a scenario here. The head teacher, you're my head teacher, Ed, and you say, Steve, Mr. Salis, at the end of every year, I want you to give me the forecast of the grades that they're going to get in five years' time based on their current levels of attainment. And I'd say to you, Mr. Bowers, I'd say, look, they're definitely on target to get to get nine A to C's or nine nine to fours now. Yeah, they're on target year eight, they're on target year nine, they're on target year ten. Imagine me going into him at target year eleven and saying, 
I'm not really sorry, sir. Uh, yeah, all the year 11s have failed. And if you look at the analogy of pro football and academy football, where clubs have got players 12, 13, 14, 15 saying, yes, 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 yes. Then 16s are letting seven players go. Can you imagine how alarmed I was going, no, no, this isn't normal. You are this supposed expert with a qualification that says you're going to do X and Y, but actually you're not doing it. And then you're blaming the kid who's legally a child. Now, I'm not saying every kid's going to get through uh, to the next level, next level. What I'm saying is accountability in pro football has not been non-existent for many years. Finally, it is changing at a rapid rate because we've now got like an Ofsted graded system where clubs can't get away with malpractice. Just this is a really good point, because when I look to your playing career, we're talking, you know, a different era of football. You know, it wasn't to where the game is now. Do you think that's another point of the generation side of how we look at the sport and how we were educated? Because now we're in the world of you can do a lot of your education, self-education through YouTube and stuff like that. So I'm just curious of from your masters in particular of like psychological, you know, psychology education. Like, are we going the right direction or from your research, there's a, a long way more to go from that coach to player development, meaning with the pupil or teacher to student development? I'm just curious from a mindset perspective of growth. The exciting thing is, is that I'm working in coach development. So, you know, I'm not working with the English FA, but I'm working with the Scottish FA as an example. So... I've had 900 people on my UA4C license this year, which is all a three-hour workshop, interactive, by the way, not me boring them to death, but a three-hour workshop of my 25 years. Now, that didn't exist three years ago before COVID, and it didn't exist certainly 20 years ago, referring back to your question. If I recite um, Piaget, constructivism, Carol Dweck, growth mindset, uh, Abraham Maslow, hierarchy and needs, uh, Donald Sean and John Dewey, reflective practitioner. Um, yeah, if I recite these people that I've studied all my life, then, you know, then that would definitely would have happened 25 years ago. So we now, I wouldn't have got a job in football 25 years ago, Ed, would I? Because I wasn't a pro and I was just a school teacher. And what do school teachers know? It would have been that type of response, wouldn't it? So we're now in a position in the industry where there's loads of academics, thank God, in the industry. But the key to having an academic is that they can apply this stuff to people who eat it for breakfast, right? So my delivery style is very much based on here's the science, do what you got to do. And I'm not here to tell people what to do. That's not my job. And I don't think people change if you tell them what to do, kids or adults. So I've just provided, my whole business is just based around this is a toolbox for a great life, right? Take it if you want it. And if you don't want it, that's not 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 anything I can do. I'm going to go back to the basics, that's okay, because we've gone really in depth. And I think it's important for listeners who want to pursue a career in the sports industry or actually be a teacher, because I'd say some of the best coaches I have had on the show are effective teachers. Uh, the one that sticks to mind was uh, Dr. Dave Aldred. He was the kicking coach for Johnny Wilkinson. He said, in a way, figure out high-performance coaching, just focus on coaching at the low level because that's where the real teaching is done. The more experience they get, it's actually more management of how they, you know, focus on the big occasions. Let's say the World Cup final yesterday with pressure, stuff like that. So I'm going back to my question. What do you, how would you define 
an effective teacher in today's society? What would it be? Just making complex things simple. You know, like that's, uh, you know what? I said this to a mate of mine, my mate Harry, uh, you must get on the podcast. He's called Harry Watlin. He's had an unbelievable journey, Ed. He's gone from balls, bibs, and cones in Lewisham in primary schools to now being um, first team coach at Glasgow Rangers with with Michael Bill. Yeah. So Michael Bill's just left Prince Park Rangers. Um, Harry's like my best mate in football, and Harry has got had an unbelievable journey about the detail of coaching. I don't coach on the grass anymore, right? But he would be perfect for you to get on, and he would definitely do it for you because he's a great guy, right? And he would talk about his journey. But the reason I'm bringing him up is because he is the best coach I've ever worked with, with words. And he brings words to life and he creates metaphors and analogies and he, he makes pictures with words. And um, he's not teaching background, he's coaching background, but he's a South London boy with incredible literacy skills. You know, no formal great education, but his super strength is language. I've always said this to him. And so, yeah, that that's huge. I think understanding assessment's massive. How we assess children, how they assess themselves, how we assess athletes, how they assess themselves. And that's broken down into peer assessment. So I assess you, you assess me. Self-assessment, I assess myself. Coach assessment, they assess you. And then written feedback and oral feedback will be the five main methods of assessment again if i said assessment for learning in a school everyone would know what it is if i said in a football club no one has a clue what it is and the reason i worked in failing schools and made them less failing is because when you're looking at data at a mass level you need to understand assessment at a mass level and then putting interventions to help individuals all the way down the ladder very complex but again you've got two and a half thousand kids in the school and you've got 20 kids in the football club it's not difficult and i, and I say it like you know i'm quite blunt i say it is ed it ain't difficult and and therefore, that's why football clubs have still got to have more self-awareness and liven up because there's people in there that know loads about football, but not loads about children, not loads about teaching and learning, not loads about ed cycle, sports cycle, leadership or soft skills or EQ or behaviour for learning. And all the things I learned, you know, over at uni, you know, I might, I might be ed, that, that I'm not saying I'm better than these people, but my job, obviously, in the modern day is to help these people get better, isn't it? I'm not. I'm not saying, but the bet. What I'm trying to say to you is, the better coaches knock on my door and go, Salis, you know, what have you got? And the ignorant ones know it all already, don't they? So, how important on that point has curiosity supported your growth? Because today's conversation, you've got me well out of my comfort zone with every conversation, and without a doubt, it's not just being educated. You're not telling me, oh, because I've got these degrees, I, I see you looking to do a PhD. That's irrelevant. It's more using that education, put it into practice. But without a doubt, curiosity is sticking out throughout this whole conversation. So how has that supported your growth, that has supported the work you've done? Yeah, I'll just, here we go. I'll simplify this, always, always do. I've got, a, I've got a theme called the downgrade. I want to be the downgrade coach, the downgrade teacher, the downgrade boss, the downgrade parent. So every single kid has had a best teacher or best coach or best podcast, right? Every single one of us. So if we don't do what the best one they've had in their in their lens and their life and their journey, in a child's eyes, we're just a downgrade. I don't have to use 15,000 words like some sports psychs do, or some people go, no, no, I just call it a downgrade. And everyone goes, what's a downgrade? And I go, yeah, you, you don't want to be the downgrade because everyone's had a better podcast host or a better teacher or a better coach. And if you don't meet that standard, then you're the downgrade. 
So I don't want to be the downgrade for you. But that's what keeps us all sharp because because therefore you come away and go, yeah, that, that guy does actually walk the walk. You know, so when I deliver, the pressure that I put myself under to deliver is when I can't really be asked because sometimes I'm human, believe it or not, I can't be asked, I've still got to be 10 out of 10. And sometimes I don't feel 10 out of 10. But my future self, as you know, my mindset projects in schools, will my future self thank me for sacking it off? And there's something in my innate in me that it's something in me that I don't want to be the downgrade. And that's why I'm successful. You know, sometimes you work through fear, don't you? You don't work through success, you work through fear. So yes, yeah, it's, it's quite, you know, I'm quite emotional. I you know I'm not an idiot. I don't I don't take my success for granted. But the more successful I become, the more pressure it is because people expect me to be better all the time. I'll tell you what, it's, it's not easy. And I tell you the first time you stumbled me of what to say next, because what you've just said there is a concept actually in any career, any walk of life of how it all comes out of how you show up. So my next question is then for the listeners listening in, because we've talked quite a lot on the dark side of the football or sports industry, like the reality, the nuts and bolts. Out of interest for the listeners who really want to work in the sports industry, what guidance would you give, really truthfully? Yeah, well, if you're working in an academy football, know that you're not going to earn any money and you can do loads of good hours. The money's crap. Everyone knows it. So I'm not speaking out of turn there. You know, work, it's prepared to work six, seven days a week. I would advise anyone that wants to go into coaching to go and get their teaching degree, go and do either PGC or a B.Ed. And then, then you're going to be better over the longer term. I'd advise people to have a 30-year plan, not a 30-day one. And don't rip people off and don't cut corners and don't do these things and go and live it. Go and breathe it. Go and learn your trade. Um, I would say don't rush. Um, I mentor lots of people. I was one of those kids, by the way, that tried to be someone before I was ready. And I got, you know, my head patted on the back of the head and say, slow down. So you need good people around you. Um, I would say anything is possible with the right with the right caliber and character. You know, looking at Harry, I've just described Harry Watlin and and um, you know what I've done and what loads of my peers have done. We've got into pro football without being pros. Um, so I would say, I would say be sincere. I would say listen well. I would say don't be a know it all. I would say surround yourself around the right people and really do that. You know, I, 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 in my mid-30s, joined Millwall and had to make a decision very quickly on who I was going to surround myself with. And this isn't anything bad about Millwall. I love my time there. But I call most businesses or schools a third, a third, and a third. Right? A third of people are smashing it, a third are in the middle, and a third are sucking it off, taking the piss. So, you know, make sure you're around people that are achievers. You know, network and, you know, yeah, just, just all, I mean, all of those things, I think, are common sense. But sometimes they're not always, again, as I mentioned earlier, they're always not like that common, are they? Of course. And just touching on the point of the not look at the 30-day plan and look at the 30 years, even for me, I do things like chunking. Like I started this in 2016. You know, I'm nearly 30 and I have to look at my scope of life totally different to when I was, you know, almost 22 starting this show. So I'm just curious of how you've, deep, you know, looked at a 30-year plan or did you just do it in chunking like I've just said, because that's what's worked for me. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and listen, it's interesting, actually, because I always say on my, on my keynote speeches, don't take what I say literally, and I say... No, 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 that's why I questioned it. That's why. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So I'm glad you've pulled me, but I do, I do, don't take what I say literally, and also say I'm here to have as many questions as I have answers, because I haven't got all the answers for the people that are around the world of 
their community, their teams, their players, boys or girls, you know, men or women, I don't know. So, you know, I'm just here with a toolbox. I'm going to chuck it at you. You take what you want, you discard what you don't want. But the 30-year plan, actually, you've just made me think about it. I've never, ever said this to anyone else. My dad, right, and I keep going back to him today, but this is linked to behaviour conditioning. I talk about behaviour conditioning a lot in my business, why we do what we do, think what we think and know what we know. But my dad was was a working-class plumber. We went from a Cortina to an Escort to a Ford Sierra. He went from a Sherpa van to a Ford van to a Merc van. And I saw growth. We got, you know, from a, from a council house to a terraced house for a detached house. My dad's now a wealthy guy. But he's made been a wealthy guy, linking to the bloody 30-year question because I'm waffling a bit, because he didn't rip people off. Gradual growth and, and, and financial growth. But no, I love the car scenario, or the, the van scenario. It's a great way to picture it. Of gradual growth, but like you say, not ripping people off, but getting fulfillment of the reaping the rewards. Sorry, carry play on. a long game. Yeah, love it. Yeah, just play a long game. So, I want to touch on one thing which sort of caught my eye on your website with uh, solutionmindset.com. Your motto is, We'll make you think differently to ensure great results. But then I put brackets, you focus on the team behind the team. Can we touch on that phrase? Because that is what we've discussed throughout the whole podcast in a way. It's not student teacher it's behind it you said data today you said having cycles having like assessments in place that's the team behind the team is that what you mean from a practical standpoint of course you need the people to do it but is that what you're referring with that phrase team behind the team of any organization or environment great shout my wine work now is with high performing teams that want my help so imagine a football club we've got the team but the team behind the team, obviously I was at Cardiff City and Wimbledon and now I'm at Northampton, is myself, the manager, the assistant, the first team coach, the physio, the master, the nutritionist, blah, blah, right? So they are the team behind the team. In a school, because I work with leadership teams in schools and, and school CPDs, that would be the teachers. The team of the kids and the team behind the team would be the staff. So it's how we get behaviours, which are high-performing behaviours, and cultural behaviours which add value to strategic and operational demands of day-to-day stuff, which in really simple terms adds value to profit and loss of a business and adds value to attainment of kids. In football terms, adds value to results on a match day, but previous to results, individual performances, you know, which which therefore lead to results. So basically human behavioural change. Awesome. And just to touch on that a bit more, could you go in a little bit more detail of Solution Minds? I know you've just said from a club and school perspective, but in general, I'm seeing you do keynotes. I see you do workshops. Like, can you just paint the picture of any listeners? Like, I want to hear more of Stephen. No, that's kind. Yeah, I've got, I've got, I've got three strands to my business, Ed. I've got education, which is school teacher training, and I've got a mindset project called My Future Self. So there's any listeners out there that would love their kids to experience a workshop from me, I go in to work with year 10, 11, 12, 13, and even unis now are now getting me in. Will your future self thank you for decisions that you make today? And it's been that popular. We've even got it trademarked on that this week. So it's, you know, something that yeah, is going really well. Congrats. Okay, thank you. Then I've got business corporate training. So any businesses, I've got um, I've got banks, I've got Coots, I've got Barclays, I've got, um, I've got recruitment companies, I've got dining groups, working with waiters and head waiters and, you know, in terms of conflict. So my work is based around high performance conflict, self-awareness, group dynamics, we, not me, leadership. And then the final one is obviously sport where I work in 
you know, I'm lucky because I've got some of the world's best athletes in my book. So um, it means that I, I'm at the cutting edge of the game, you know, without being it every day. So I'm pretty fortunate, to be honest. I, I you know, I do feel grateful, mate. Just on that note, on the gratitude side of things, I've really enjoyed this conversation, by the way. You've certainly got me out of my comfort zone, but out of interest reflecting, what have you enjoyed the most from your sports career look and teaching career looking back right now? Do you know what, people? Do you know that dinner I went to? I don't know if I said this on there or off there, actually. I went to see my mate yesterday, the two best teachers I've ever worked with, Pete Nichols and Stefan Ball, both in the school that I used to work with. And I miss bus duty. I miss gate duty. I miss all these things that see people see the glory of Instagram now. But the honesty is, Ed, I am probably more lonely now I've been now than I've ever been. Right? I deliver on my own. I drive on my own. I come home on my own. No, I haven't got that team environment anymore. You know, what I mean is the school teacher staff and the, and the Millwall staff and the England staff. I haven't got that day to day. And so I want people to tell the truth. If people are going to go and work on their own, right, they've got to be ready to be lonely. Yeah. They've got to be prepared to be lonely. And I'm working on my own, like you are. You just held your hands up. And that, for me, has been the hardest transition of my life. And I know I've waffled on the question, but I just want the listeners... No, no, it's real. It's real. Truth. Yeah, I'm telling the truth. And so I still miss teaching. But I can't go back to it because I don't want to live in a flat when I'm 50. And I live in central London and it's not it's not cheap. So I'm not rich, you know. These kids, if kids listen, I'm not rich. I've never, you know, you're not if you you don't work for money if you're a teacher. Well, I have to say that's why on the show I wanted to promote story. I said before air, uh, not for praising you for the sake of praise. For years, everybody, I mean years, like I've been looking forward to this podcast, and I really have. And honestly, it's been a real joy to have you on. But before we finish up, I always like to finish with an inspirational question and. I had so many themes on my mind, but the one thing that's cropped up a few times is self-awareness. So for the listener, like you said, we're being real on this. What are three sort of tips or sort of tasks they can improve their self-awareness after listening to this podcast episode? Yeah, two things spring to mind. Be mindful of how you act. Be mindful of how you interact. And be mindful of how you react to all the nuances of life and work. And then the final bit is, is probably your awareness of knowing what you know, but more importantly, knowing what you don't know. And when you know what you don't know, keep your mouth shut, listen to people that know more than you. My mouth shut. It's probably, yeah, no one's ever asked me that question, but I've just rattled that off because the, the act interact and reacts in my book. So that's why I've simplified self-awareness. But also, yeah, I'll give you an example. Let me just apply this. I don't know nothing about sports science and pro football. So when those conversations are going on with S&C guys and physios, I'm just shutting my mouth and I'm listening because I don't know anything. So I'm not going to pretend I know anything. They're the experts. I'm not. They tell players how to get fit, why to get fit, return to play after injury. Why? Because they've got two degrees that says they're any good at it. So let's just, you know, make sure I'm learning as well. It all comes down to having that perspective in where you can add value and when to be quiet and listen. So look, everybody, I really do hope you have taken notes throughout this podcast, but out of interest, Stephen, how can people interact with you online? Like where are the best places to go? Yeah, just usual um, uh, socials. It's Twitter at Stephen Salis, um, Insta Solutions Mindset. Yeah, LinkedIn, Steve Salis, as we're both on there. 
Um, and I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I've just joined TikTok. I don't know what to do with it. I'm too old. So, <laughs> I'm joining there I'm soon, gonna... by the way. So uh, yeah. we'll figure yeah, it out no, together. <laughs> yeah, decent, decent. But listen, thanks for having me on. And, and I mean this sincerely. You've got a great personality. And I don't mean that like, you know, in a in a, any other way than a sincere way. Your personality is brilliant and you're sincere and you've got a great message to say. So thank you for having me. And I mean that. And I'm sure this is the start of a friendship as well, mate. Absolutely. Just for the listeners listening in, all those links will be on my website with regards to this brilliant podcast. Stephen, it's been a joy my end as well. Thank you very much. Thanks, bud. My goodness, this is why I enjoy podcasting so much, is having the opportunity to have conversations like with Stephen, which is real and authentic. Like For me, that's the biggest thing I've taken from this podcast chat, because I'm not joking, as much as I was so keen to get Stephen on the show for many years, what I admire the most from this conversation is the truthness, because... I'm all about you thriving. I'm all about you pursuing a career you want to do and the living you want to make. But at sometimes it can be packaged in a way or promoted in a way without the reality behind the scenes, the reality of what it's really like. And that is what I admire from Stephen's conversation, which got me out of my comfort zone. Like, you have no idea how I felt when he was talking about children who were getting, you know, recruited from gangs and how society is and how things are like these are deep conversations where I don't have all the answers and that's something I want to share with you my conclusion of this you don't have to have all the answers but the key is is having the conversations and then connecting with the right people to discover solutions so that's on that part but with regards to the conversation itself what I really enjoyed learning from Stephen is his authenticity it is really admiring like for me personally where I had the aspirations to be a teacher and I went hold on I can teach through another method, another medium through interviewing people. And that to me is where I've had the real joy in creating this show. But I want this to relate to you now. Like what is the biggest takeaway which you're going to apply to your development? Because the one thing I do want to highlight, particularly if you're a teacher listening to this, I hope you've learned that your teaching skills can be applied in other walks of life. doesn't mean there won't be challenges, because that's another thing I want to highlight, which is so true, the loneliness when pursuing a career in sport or when you do something on your own. And the reason why I say a career is the loneliness when you're applying for roles is the, is the hardest part. And it's, it's just a pattern I'm seeing when people are applying for roles. It's so lonely. And it's the same thing with Stephen. It's saying I have a little bit, I'll be honest, when working in this industry, showing up every Wednesday for you with my new podcast episode behind the scenes is where the real work happens, but also the loneliness. And you're like, is this going to work out? All these doubts creep in your head. And that's what I loved about this conversation, the truthfulness. Um, but without a doubt, what from it, like I say, I always like to finish on a positive, you know that, guys, but it's having the ability to showcase your superpower. He mentioned that a few times, Stephen, and I think it's really important to highlight as well. Always knowing what your strengths are and how you apply them is vital too. But on the other side of the coin, which is brilliant right at the end of um, being self-aware, is knowing when to be quiet, when listening to more people who are more knowledgeable, have more experience or got the knowledge from their qualifications or courses. And then there's time to talk when you showcase your abilities. I think that's so powerful. So that's how I'm going to wrap up this podcast. But as always, 
I'm grateful. It's going through an hour now of you listening to this podcast. How are you going to apply one thing from this conversation to your sports career development? I always say that at the end of every podcast because for me, I want to get it and do the reps with you because that's the only way you're going to develop. Um, knowledge is helpful, but applying it is where the real magic happens in where you want to go and what you want to do that makes you thrive in this industry, whatever sector of the sports industry. So on that note, make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Stephen said, be mindful. <clears throat> now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Stephen said, be mindful how you act. Be mindful how you interact. Be mindful how you react to nuances in life and work.